welcome to Act Your Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. I'm Corinne. And I'm Tasia. And today we are talking about Autobiography by Christina Lauren. Before we dive into the book, we are very excited to have another guest with us here today, our friend Martha. Hi, Martha. Hi. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, you may know me from other podcasts, or you may not, but I host (laughs) one called Martha and Colby Grow Up, and I'm also a host of the Four Nations Report, which is an Avatar Rewatch podcast. We go through week by week uh, and discuss the episodes. I've never seen Avatar. I did just order an Avatar sticker today, though, so I feel like I'm like kind of joining the club now. Look at you. I've been having a lot of fun watching your um, or listening to your your progress through it. Yeah. It's been it's been fun and yeah I podcast with my friends so well great you're our friend and we're very excited to have <laughs> you here today with us podcast expert that you are and also um, we know that you're a big fan of this book so we're really happy to have you here to talk about it uh, before we get into the book itself we always like to talk a little bit about what we are obsessing over this week uh, Tasia do you want to go first Yeah, school's been kicking my ass lately, so I haven't really had the time or energy to like dive face first into anything, but I did start Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, and uh, really anytime anybody gives me the opportunity to ship a protagonist with like a literal god of the dead, I am there for it. Every (laughs) single time I will show up ready to go. It's very on brand. I like that. (laughs) I am who I am. (laughs) Um, Martha, what are what are you into these days? I'm trying to get an advanced reader copy of One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston, just to say that I did it. Uh, what would be all of us, all of us, dream. yeah, for sure. Um, for the, for those who don't know, Casey wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue, which is a favorite of Actia Age. And And despite it not being, not at all being a young adult book, we will be covering it because it's our podcast and we do what we want. Yeah, we just love young adults in the book. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it's technically new adults, which basically, in a lot of ways, is just a new category that came up for like YA, but like sex is involved, or like for people who are in like the twenty something age range so I think that that's where she's writing it but yeah the her next book one last step doesn't come out until June I think but yeah those advanced reader copies are coming out and if you get one you gotta share with us yeah yeah sisterhood of the the ARC of OLS (laughs) is I've been calling it that's a good uh, segue I guess into what I'm obsessing over this week which is the Imperium trilogy by Claire Legrand which is I think technically a new adult fantasy trilogy, the last book of which uh, called Lightbringer just came out last week. And I cannot remember the last time I obsessed so hardcore over a series and and how it ended and and trying to piece together how we got there from the other two books. I don't want to say too much because I know Tasia has read the first two books and has not had a chance to read the third book yet, but I literally spent a whole day this weekend from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed texting with a friend of ours who I will not name for for uh for anonymity purposes because it was very embarrassing how literally we talked about this book all day um the ending just kind of like blew my mind in a lot of ways and I'm still not over it so that's what I've been obsessing over um this 
this week and I don't know when this one. I almost just want you to spoil it for me because it's not (laughs) going to come in. Like my library hold won't come in for like 14 weeks or something. And by then who even knows if I'll still care. So I might hit you guys up to spoil me. You will still care. And I also care. And how I know you'll still care is that the ending of the second book of the series, like it wasn't a cliffhanger, but it totally was one of those pull the rug out from under you type moments where I've spent basically at least once a week have thought about what happened with it. And I still, and I still am thinking about it. So I, I can't imagine that in 14 weeks or whatever, I'm going to be over it. And I will still want to talk to you about it. At yeah, length, but like so. the way you two talk about the ending of, or like the last book, it has me really nervous to read it. So I'm going to come on this journey with us. You read it it before me. me, So you, you did. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to read it. I'm not going to let you off the hook because you did this to me. (laughs) I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, good. I'm glad we're all doing like really healthy things this week. We got a God of death, (laughs) like trying to track down a book um, and just obsessing about books. It's all very on brand for all of us. Um, All right. So, with that, do we want to get into this beautiful, beautiful book, um, Autobiography? We do have a summary of it for those of you who may not have read it or want to just listen to us talk about it without having read it. Um, that's up to you. Tasia, take it away. Tanner came out as bisexual to his friends and his supportive family when he was only 13 years old. And being from the relatively progressive area of Palo Alto, California, never felt the need to hide himself. But when he was, he was 15, his family moved to Provo, Utah, a heavily Mormon-populated city, and his formerly LDS mom worried how he might be treated if he were out to the community there, so she asked him not to reveal his sexuality. Now 18, and in his final, final semester of high school, Tanner has been forced to live in the closet for three years and is more than ready to graduate so he can live an authentic life in an out-of-state college. He lets his best friend, Autumn, convince him to sign up for the seminar, a class in which the students are tasked with writing a novel in a semester, and he expects it to be a breeze. But then he meets the class TA, Sebastian, who took the seminar the year before and got a book deal out of it. Sebastian is a devout Mormon son attending BYU and preparing to go on a two-year mission after his book tour. Tanner is immediately attracted to Sebastian, and as they spend more time together working on Tanner's book, their mutual feelings for each other begin to grow. Soon they've entered into a secret relationship. Sebastian has no desire to come out and and insists he isn't gay and worries what his family and his church will do if his relationship is discovered. When they are caught by another student while on one of their secret dates, Sebastian dumps Tanner. Devastated, Tanner goes to Autumn for comfort, and Autumn, who has been in love with Tanner their entire friendship, turns the comfort in a different direction, and they have sex, after which they're both upset. They make up, and several days later, Sebastian shows up at Tanner's house after he more or less came out to his parents by asking them a hypothetical question about how they would react to having a gay child, and the family hasn't spoken to him since. They get back together, but then Sebastian's family discovers their relationship through their texts and emails, so Sebastian again dumps Tanner, this time via email and at his parents' insistence. Tanner, despite his hurt, knows he can't turn in the book he has been writing for the seminar because it is all about him falling in love with Sebastian, and he doesn't want to out him. Autumn gives Sebastian a copy of Tanner's book without Tanner's knowledge, and after reading it, Sebastian turns it in anyway so that Tanner won't fail his class. Sebastian keeps a copy of Tanner's book, though, and brings it with him on his book tour where he reads it every night. When he comes home and is given his mission assignment, he realizes he can't keep trying to pretend that he's someone the church and his family wants him to be. He flies out to L.A. where Tanner has moved to attend UCLA, and they reunite. That was a very (laughs) long-winded summary of autobiography. But a lot happens and is often is the case with YA. A lot of 
the the dramatics and the theatrics of these relationships is really at the core. So it's kind of important to know about like the mul- right. multiple so, yeah, breakups and it's get It's kind back of together. a straight up romance. So you, you know, it's not like a plot, plot heavy book. So all of those little moments, they, they're they really, important. Yeah. They add up to everything. And in addition to having so much plot wise though, in terms of like all these little moments that they have together, it is just really just beautifully written in terms of like the feeling that you get from all this. And, you know, obviously it's kind of a heavier, it sounds like a heavier subject matter than it is, but it does have like humor in there and it's not like all doom and gloom for these two. Um, obviously it has a bit of a happy ending, but it is a more serious subject matter. And I think before we dive in, I think one of the things I wanted to carry over from our conversation from last week was, you know, this idea of own voices stories and how this kind of fits into that. So I would say it's like a hybrid own voices story. Yeah, because we've, we're covering um, both queer identity and religious identity in this book. So um, I did a little bit of research and one half of Christina Lauren, I know is because they're two authors or two best friends that co-author all their books together. What? Uh, one, I thought it was one person. Oh, you had no idea. Yeah, no, yeah. I had no it's, idea. It's two best friends. It's Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings. Um, Billings. Billings. That's her last name. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, so, so one half of them is um, out and is bisexual, and the other half grew up in um, Utah. And I don't know if she actually was Mormon or if she just worked with them. But speaking as someone who grew up in the Mormon community myself, uh, though I was never devout, and I, you know. I, even as a child, I was not prone to religious <laughs> anything. But um, from my experiences within the Mormon community, the depiction is incredibly accurate and yeah. just really deftly and kind of sensitively handled. Yeah. And that's what I think is so interesting about this book is that it does talk so much about the Mormon faith, because it's so important to Sebastian. He is like the poster boy of what you would want, minus the whole being gay thing, but what he's, what the Mormon (laughs) church would want their, their poster boy to look like. He's classically handsome. It sounds like he's athletic. He is very into his family. He's very into giving back to his community and it highlights all of that. And I think it ends up being really interesting because the Mormon church from an outsider's perspective, I don't have really any experience with it at all, but you know, everyone tends to side eye it. Right. And just if, if anyone has a thought on it, it's, you know, like polygamy or just kind of some, they're more, there's a lot of, there's a lot of culty vibes. And I can say that as somebody who grew up in that, in that community, um, a lot of it is, and a lot of it can be really damaging. Like I think this book walks a really fine line which I, it's like an almost impossible line to walk between being open and, and openly critical about the Mormon church and the damaging beliefs and, and stuff that they carry and that they inflict on their children while also not demonizing them. Right. I think one thing that is maybe to be said for this book is they almost gloss over some of the really intense parts of Mormonism, it it almost feels like a cookie cutter, like nicely packaged up version. Like, yeah, it's intense and and yeah, like it's not very welcoming in the book. But I I feel like I've maybe heard a lot of stories that can be like 
really intense, like no drinking, no, you know, coffee or no caffeine or whatever. So yeah, there's no caffeine. You're not even supposed to drink like hot drinks. Like it's not just coffee. It's like hot drinks. Like it's, there's a lot of and you get a little bit of that too when you Sebastian tells Tanner about the one day he like cut school or whatever and he like went to the movies by himself and he ate a whole pack of Twizzlers and got a Coke. Like that was his his rebellious day. I mean, he's just he really is just like what I would think is like very prototypical, very clean cut all American Mormon boy, I guess. Uh, but I do think they. They do probably sugarcoat it a little bit without going into a lot of the, I guess, more out there beliefs. But what I think I ultimately really like about the book is that they highlight what Sebastian gets from it and what he he sees as, as the positives of it, this idea of family and service. And I think that that's really important for any like young readers of this book who might be struggling as well, because he is very rightly so concerned that his family and his community is going to ostracize him if he comes out. And that's what happens in the book. But on the flip side, you know, the fear of that is like, okay, you're going to leave what you know to go to the outside world that you know nothing about. And are you going to get more criticism and more rejection from that community because of the community that you left? So I like that it does paint a positive depiction of of how certain people might get certain things out of this, especially if you haven't known any differently growing up. And I think it's uh, what's important is that it's not dismissive of people that still hold their religious beliefs very dear to them. Because at the end of the book, Sebastian, he doesn't reject the church, even though ostensibly the, the church and his family has rejected him, but he doesn't reject his faith. And I think that's an important thing. Like he still has his beliefs and he's still that person, whether, you know, the church backs him up or not. Right. For me too, because I feel like they want him to be able to have both. Like if he chooses the church and he chooses to be gay, I would want him to have both because some churches are accepting. And I think just like overall, it makes me really upset that some places are still not and it's 2020 so i think that was even though this book wasn't it was written a few years ago but yeah i feel like things haven't changed much yeah, yeah remi- they're still very regressive yeah in a lot of ways so it reminds me a lot too of i grew up in the catholic church and going to catholic school and i knew people who were like sebastian i guess before how he gets to be at the end of the book where he just has kind of walked away and decided he can't he has to be true to himself but I knew people who were like I'm just not going to acknowledge this side of myself I'm I may have feelings towards people of the the same gender as me but I'm not going to act on it because that's outside of of what the the church teaches and it, it is so hard to read and it is so upsetting because I think Tanner says at one point too, like, I think God would want you to be happy. And as long as you are being who you are, he would be happy too, or God would be happy too. So I I think ultimately, as you said at the beginning, Tasia, though, it's so deftly done because you get the sense of what is terrible about 
the church from, um, we didn't mention her in our summary, but Tanner has an aunt that was excommunicated from the church because she came out and is now married to a woman. And her mom was, his mom was excommunicated too, because she left when her sister left. So you definitely see all some of the, the really, really bad things. But at the end of the day, you have to hold particularly like youth who are in a vulnerable position within these organizations in a, in a safe space. And I think that this book provides that safe space. And again, not just for, for queer youth who might be reading this book, but anyone who feels like they can't be who they are for whatever reason, whether it's their church, their family, whatever, it kind of shows you that it's, it's possible if you find the right person. And I, I think maybe then we can segue into talking about Tanner. Cause what I, like about this book, which I normally don't like in romances, is that it is kind of like an instant love connection for these two. Like when they finally confess how they feel about each other, I don't know why I like this. It's it's not going to translate well when I just quote it out of context, but one of them says, the first time I saw you and the other one goes, yeah, I never felt that way before. Me either. Like it's just, they have this instant connection to each other. And I think that's really important for Sebastian because I don't know that he ever would have gotten there on his own if he wasn't smacked in the face with feelings. Like he has no choice except to, he can't stay away from Tanner. I feel like romance novels in general, and not just specifically this book, but the instant love, instant attraction, man, that doesn't happen in real life, no matter how much you want it to. Yeah. (laughs) It hasn't happened to me yet. Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't know anyone who, like, knows who's had that happen to them in real life. Yeah, well, I mean, which is why I think romances are fun to read, because it is, like, just that extra level of escapism where you're like, oh, yeah, no, this shit does not happen, like, ever, but it's fun (laughs) to pretend. Yeah, but I think that that is so important for Sebastian to have someone who's just totally into him, but then, like, totally on his side through all of this, and Tanner's situation in this book is is so interesting because he ha- has been forced back into the closet by his family's move to this town. And he was out for a few blissful years, it sounds like, in California before he, he moved there. And it's really interesting because the first time I read this book, I really obviously felt for Sebastian. You can't read this book and not feel so terrible for him because he is struggling so much through this book. But on reread i had so many tanner feelings he i just felt so bad for him that he I has too. to be the one to be this person for sebastian it shouldn't all right, have to be on an 18 year old right because he's you know falling in love for the first time and also just like kind of repeatedly getting his heart broken throughout this entire book and it's it's really hard to read sometimes just from like an empathetic point of view I mean, to me, yeah, it's not great that it falls all on his shoulders, but he kind of didn't seem to mind. Like, it didn't seem that big of a burden. I think he minded a few. There were a few times where he was, like, just kind of sick of being devastated, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess you could interpret it as maybe working out in the ending. Yeah. Um, I I choose to believe it works out. But, yeah, I mean, like... I don't know, I guess. I, I I wonder who Tanner's person was or if he had a person. So that's a really good point, actually. Cause I yeah, I don't know. He so he has his best friend Autumn, who he 
is not out too, which is like a whole Let's issue. Let's talk about autumn. You yeah. have lots of things to say about autumn. Yeah. Like, so I don't think autumn is this person for this reason. So like, she's his best friend who it is ludicrous to me that his mom is like, yeah, you need to keep this secret even from autumn. Like, no, but he doesn't even feel like he thinks about telling autumn. Cause obviously they've been friends for several years, but at one point in the beginning of the book, he says he still hasn't told her that he's bi because he's concerned she's quote progressive in theory and might feel different when it's an actual queer person in her bedroom. And that is, that's so hard to feel like you can't super real. tell your best friend just because too, like she's not a member of the church. Her family also left the church. So they're very much like the anti-Mormon crew at school, but it's he's hiding who he is from her. So yeah, that's, not well, great. knowing that she is, I mean, and kind of openly in love with him the entire time. And I think that influences their relationship in a lot of kind of messed up ways because I feel like he he gives her way too much kind of control over him, like over his emotional state, over over their friendship, because he feels like a sense of guilt over the fact that he doesn't love her in the same way that she loves him. And so he kind of, he gives her a lot of leeway when it comes to like shitty things that she does. And yeah, I I think, I think he needs to be a little bit more critical of her. Yeah. I think that's like a very unhealthy friendship and that they both rely on each other too much, but for the wrong reasons, she relies on him because she's in love with him, which she like has admitted to. And they both like make a joke out of it, which is horrible. Like if that were me, oh my God, I would hate it so much. Yeah. It's like an inside joke they have where it's like, uh, I love you only a little or something like that. Oh my God. It's horrifying. And then he relies on her because he it's the closest he has to like a full safe space, but like it obviously can't be like totally safe because she does not know this very critical thing about him. Yeah. I, here's my thing at the end of the book. I question, I really want Sebastian and Tanner to make it in the long run. I really do. I don't know if this is maybe like too much for these, these boys, but (laughs) I, I don't know that uh, Tanner and Autumn are in it for for the long haul friendship wise i just feel like they need to cut the cord i think he's gonna get a little bit older at some point and be like oh wait no that was bad that's what she did my thing about autumn is there parts of her do remind me of myself and like i tend to force friendship on people i mean i'd like to think it's eventually mutual but if i see someone cool i'm like hey let's be friends like i'll just like talk to them and ask them about their life i mean like that's how we became friends, both of us. So. Yeah, that's true. I appreciate that you did that for us. I, right. I guess I do get where she's coming from as well. I don't mean to be like totally stereotypical in like in in stereotyping like the people I like went to high school with. And because I did a lot of theater growing up in high school. And I can tell you that I like certainly had crushes on people and dated people who subsequently came out. And so that is it, it is it is a hard thing to deal with when you're like 18, 19 years old and you have feelings for someone who like can't reciprocate them for whatever reason. So like I get it. But also it's really hard to see what happens with her and Tanner at the end of this book. And that's, I want to talk about this moment too, because this is like one of the shocking moments of this book 
When I first read it, I got so mad at Tanner. But again, on reread, I'm so mad at Autumn. Yeah, I, apparently, I'm like a Tanner stand now, like number one. I was, yeah, I was. I was really. Mad. I think even the first time I read it, I was really mad at Autumn because it is very. I feel like kind of emotionally manipulative, and I think she takes like, like if we had reversed their genders here, this would be unquestionably anti-Autumn because. A really good she point. fully she fully takes advantage of him. It's like yeah. it's like sleeping with a drunk girl. You know, he comes over, he is devastated, he's heartbroken, he's crying all over the place. He literally doesn't even know what's going on. Yeah, he barely gets the story out to her between sobs, and she turns that into an opportunity to have sex with him. And that is yeah, and she definitely and, and reading it again on closer, like she starts kissing like away his tears first. And I'm like, no, autumn girl, like what are you doing? It So it is really, it's such a weird, I wonder why I would love to talk to Christina Lauren, Christina and Lauren, please tell us like why you decided to write this in because it is such an interesting choice. I do love in YA when the protagonists are not perfect. And uh, I, I like that Tanner is, is, is not perfect. I mean, he, he also like dives into this situation too. So he's not blameless. Less, I'll say that. But so I like that it's kind of messy because it does feel true to life. And I think it's important for, for teens to have examples of, of other teens fucking up. That's <laughs> a really it, good point is it does feel completely true to life because I have 100% in heartbroken moments gone and slept with somebody completely inappropriate just to try to make myself feel better. So yeah, it is absolutely a true thing that people go through. So, you know, like you want to cling on to something like something's going wrong you cling on to something else that thing might not be the best thing but again like you're heartbroken your emotions are are all over their place you're lurk you're i can't talk you're looking for something familiar so i like kind of get why that happened i don't love that it happens made me really uncomfortable to read um but i can see both sides of it yeah it does feel really true, which is, which is, I think, again, really important, especially in a book that could be so overly like precious and sanitized. I mean, we're dealing with a very, very religious boy here who like, so this book could be very sanitized. And so I'd like that it had, it throws in some of, of the messiness of, of teenage hormone city situations because it, it, it doesn't go away either. So I keep blaming it on them. Like they're teenagers and like, this is why this happened. I'm like, it's yeah. but this could happen at any time. But yeah. So I don't know if they'll, their friendship will stand the test of time. Tanner is at UCLA. Autumn is at Yale. She's got a new boyfriend. And it just like seems so toxic too, because even at the end, Tanner like says that he gets a little pang of jealousy when Autumn talks about her boyfriend. Yeah. It's what just fuck? <laughs> I know. I like we gotta cut the cord, friends. Mm-hmm. And I that is something that I think is a really important lesson. I wish there was a sequel to this book because I would love to see where these characters end up. Because you do as you grow up, even when you're in your 20s, it's not just your high school friends, but you do grow Ooh, and yeah. evolve beyond people all the time. And um, I wonder whether these, those two will, will stay friends. And I just don't know. And when it comes down to it, they've only been friends for three years because she moved to Provo when he was 15, moved away when he was 18. Then they've, they're on separate sides of 
the country right. going to college, I think we wouldn't really even have to worry about them needing to cut ties. I think that's something that would probably just happen naturally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about myself and I think I have like two to three close high school friends. Sometimes I'll see, or I used to see them at parties. Like if, if I was invited, like, um, like my one friend invited me, but then all of other, her other friends were there. Like I would see them there or at this wedding, I was just at a bunch of my high school friends, but yeah, other than that, I mean, you just grow up so much by the time you're 16, 17, 18, and then into college, like, man, so I, what, they were 8, 17, 18 in this book, I'm 26. So yeah, that's, you know, eight years is a long time for things to happen. Yeah, it is. So, I mean... Maybe pour one out for that friendship. I don't know. I just, I don't, I just, I don't, and it, that's okay. Like they will have learned. Also a totally normal thing. Yeah. And you'll have, they'll have learned very important things from each other. So I'm okay with that path for them. But I, I think it's also obviously the fact that Autumn is in love with Tanner is a really, uh, it really throws a monkey wrench into things. But then, you know, that kind of feeds into, how this book handles and discusses Tanner's bisexuality, which I really like how it comes up in this book and how it's discussed. I mean, I, when it comes to the Tanner autumn relationship, Sebastian is, is rightfully wary of it and thinks, you know, knows can recognize that autumn is in love with Tanner, but he questions like, okay, well, Tanner, why can't, if you, if you like both, like, why don't you just choose to be right, from girl? his perspective? He's, he's not taking this very easy out, you know, from his perspective, that's what it looks like. You know, right. like if I could make another choice, I would, but that's just, you know, obviously that's not how it works. And what I really like about this book is kind of right from the get, um, they address or Tanner addresses the biphobia within and without the LGBTQ community. Right. Um, that they're seen as kind of uh, untrustworthy and indecisive within and without the community. And I think it ends up, I, I love Tanner as a protagonist because he is, he's un, unflinching in who he is. None of people saying these things to him make him question at all. Like, oh yeah, like maybe like this is a step on the way to like being gay or like, oh, I'm just like experimenting or something. No, like he's, that's, he knows exactly who he is. And that is, is really nice. And it's really necessary for Sebastian to have someone. Isn't it funny though? Like, <laughs> I just think it's funny that bisexual men are accused of just kind of taking a layover on their way to gay town and bisexual women are accused of just doing it for male attention. So yeah. really what that comes down to is like men cannot believe in a world in which like this person does not want to fuck them one way or another. That's such a good point. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. Except though, in this book, all the pressure on Tanner is to 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 go the other direction to like just be with a girl. Like, wouldn't it be yeah. easier if you were just going to be with a girl? Well, that's like such a good point in general. But yeah, no, it's literally like in the first ten to fifteen pages where Tanner is like, no, like I'm biphobia. <laughs> yeah, it f that. So yeah, I love I love to see see that. It's just a really good positive. Um, representation and that was in the author's note i think it's lauren who is bisexual and she she grew up to like in a progressive california town i believe and so she wanted she said in the author's note she wanted to write a book 
for people whose experiences weren't as easy as hers and show that it like, it could be like you could, there's people out there who will accept you for who you are, even if you didn't have the experience that I had, which I really liked. Um, and it's nice. So that leads into Tanner's family, which is. Yeah. I really like this too, because um, it's something that people don't really talk about. And that's, overly supportive allies like his parents have essentially forced him back into the closet when he'd been living out and happy for a few years and I think kind of to assuage their own guilt at doing that they are just kind of like that performative overly supportive we love the gays train you know yeah. like and all of their shirts and they've got the bumper stickers like and his got, mom you know, has a nightgown with like some like gay prides like yeah everything is gay like, pride and they're all like oh we support you we support you and the second he gets a crush on a boy in that town they are all of a sudden just freaking out and losing yeah. it and it, it's, it feels like they're kind of pulling that support back and they say oh it's not because it's a boy it's because he's a mormon and you know but at the same time he is a boy though and yeah they, they, like, do, they overcompensate yeah yeah they definitely over overcompensate. And I think they does like kind of hint that his dad was maybe like initially uncomfortable. In a lot of ways, his parents are like really are really good to him. I think at one point when when Sebastian eventually confesses his feelings for Tanner mm-hmm. and that he like likes boys, and Tanner uses the language that his dad used for for him when he came out, which was, I can't tell you how good that feels that you trust me. Which is, that's really nice and really important. I think there's, you know, I've read a lot in the last few years about how the, you know, the language you use, you know, if your kids come out to you or whatever, how important that is. And, you know, you're not supposed to use language like, it's okay, like, we'll get through this or like kind of anything that makes like, yeah, this isn't great, but we're here for you. No, like you just need to be very, very positive on it. I think they overcorrect here and it might stem from some internalized fear about it or concern about it, at least on his dad's part, but the on his mom's part, she's off got obviously some like Mormon related PTSD because of being brought up in the church and watching how they treated her sister and being excommunicated. So she's got a lot of issues with the religion itself, but um, I just don't like the way that it comes out to where essentially Tanner has to do a lot of emotional labor just to make his parents feel like they are being supportive enough and they are doing the way that they're overly performative about their support, it's kind of reductive of yeah. who he is as a person. Yeah, like they're really boiling him down to his bisexual identity and nothing else. Yeah. And it must be really hard for Tanner to like go to school every day and like have to be closeted even from his best friend. And then like walk into a house that's like bursting at the seams with like rainbow paraphernalia. Like it's just, you're, you're flipping a switch that doesn't exist naturally. And yeah, that must be, be really hard. And then like on top of that, like the fact that they even moved back to Utah in the first place is really frustrating to me. I don't get it. It's, I mean, it's for the money. What don't right. you get? <laughs> like his dad's a cardiac like, surgeon. Her mom, his mom worked for Google. Yeah, yeah, and that's the funny fine. part. I'm like, what, what, like, Provo, Utah tech jobs are going to be bigger than like a 
you know, a Los Angeles or a New York or a Chicago, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's a narrative. It's a narrative stretch, but I do think it, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it to them because I do think it does. It is an important thing to show again, this overly performative um, allyship and how, how they're a little too, too into it. And I think it is important to show how like one extreme isn't, better than the last. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I would still say that this is better. I mean, yeah, it is better. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. I think but... they mean well in general, but I I think at, at some point they should have asked, not Sebastian Tanner, they should have asked Tanner, you know, hey, do you mind all this? Like, do you like that yeah. we wear bumper stickers? Like, we give you bumper stickers. Do you like that we have nightgowns? But because it almost feels like, I think you mentioned it earlier, like, even though they're supporting them, in the house they're not supporting him out in the world and i feel like that is kind of a big miss for me as well yeah but then i do like a lot when so they like tell tanner his dad tells tanner that like he can't have sebastian over at the house he can't hide from sebastian's parents at tanner's house he would not want that if he was if the roles were reversed, he wouldn't want his kid to be sneaking around and he doesn't want to be the one harboring another That's kid. That's another thing I really, around. really hate because obviously this is a very different thing. Sebastian has to keep his, you know, sexual yeah, identity he, away for, from for, his like, parents he, because of oppression reasons. Yeah. Whereas like, that's not, I don't think that right. qualifies as sneaking around on your parents. Right. And I don't I, like that comparison. That yeah, I agree. And he also says like, oh, Sebastian, you know, he's in college. Like he could find a way. It's like, okay, when I was 18, I was just like, you know, calling my mom to put like $20 in my debit account because I like didn't know what to do. Like I was a, a mess. So to say that like, okay, Sebastian could move out. He could do all these things. It's like, okay. Tanner's dad. No, he can't. But that's why cardiac surgeon Tanner's dad. Yeah. But that's why I do think it is really nice then at the end, um, or at one point towards the end, when I'm like gonna cry, (laughs) like thinking about when (laughs) Sebastian, um, his his parent, like he asked the like hypothetical question, like, what would you do if one of your kids were gay and and they like have a, a, a whole crisis and they don't speak to him for a week and he finally like breaks down and goes back to Tanner and they're broken up at this point. And like Tanner's mom like sees Sebastian and immediately knows like something is not right and just like hugs him and like says stuff to him like in his ear that Tanner can't hear and like he gets the longer hug and it just I really love that I think that in a lot of ways the mom his mom is like more even though she took this job to move to like she gets it a lot more obviously with her the situation with her sister and I think that's just such like a really lovely and nice moment um that they so they they do have their nice moments. They like let Sebastian stay for dinner then and give him like a safe space for the night. Now that you mention it though, it is kind of weird if he was already out in San Francisco and his mom was like, Yep, let's move to closed Provo, Utah. Like it just that seems weird to me. Yeah. Now that I think about it. More, well, and they but... also say they like discuss it in the fa- as a family. It's like, I'm sorry, yeah. don't put it on your 15 year old right. to make this decision and be like, yeah, mom, dad, I'm okay with going back in the closet. How about you be an advocate for your child and right. do what is best for them? That's what being a parent is. Right. Like, I, I don't understand because then obviously his mom does have like some very deep seated issues with the Mormon community, which she, but then parrots. don't move back. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I know. It's like Again. her issues with it are bigger than anybody else in the family, you know? Dang, I, I'm kind of hating the mom now. I know. <laughs> I just it, can't you know? imagine doing this to your kid. Again, it's a very convenient narrative choice. How else are they going to have like this plot set up, which I think is, is really important because if you didn't have someone like Tanner, like if you were Sebastian or someone like Sebastian, how would you ever find the courage to, to come out? You need an outsider to come in, unfortunately, to like, to break free. Cause otherwise if not, Sebastian just goes to bring him young for the rest of his life. And he goes on his mission. He gets married. He has a few kids and then brother, brother. has a bigger, has a bigger <laughs> his crisis. His brother, brother, <laughs> brother, brother. That's a great moment of levity. Sebastian is funny. Can we just like talk about that briefly? I really, I oh, the way he, I really want to read his book that he wrote. Yeah, he reads like yeah. a fantasy. He writes so when yeah. he takes the seminar, he writes a, the first book on it like a fantasy trilogy, and immediately gets like sold to all these publishers. I would like to read it too. Like I'm, into I love that. the way he like ribs Tanner for like all of his Mormon assumptions and stuff. Like he's all brother, brother, like, and, you know, oh, nobody, I've been waiting forever for somebody to make that joke. (laughs) And and Tanner totally buys it because he sees them as just completely, you know, humorless, like, bots or something. (laughs) And, yeah, it is really, yeah, because it's nice to see that he does have a sense of humor. He can, like, poke fun at himself. He's not totally insulated to the fact that he realizes that everything they do is normal. Um, It's because it's not in a lot of ways. So yeah, no, Sebastian, he's a good egg. He's a good boy. Um, I like, I, yeah, but his humor in the book is really, really funny to me. He's Sweet. a good egg. He is a good egg. I also love, this is not really so much about Sebastian, but I just like love them both and their little insights you get into their personalities. At one point, like Tanner's like super stressed out and he's like watching Pretty Little Liars. Oh, are you me, Tanner? <laughs> <laughs> right and then Sebastian's just like what are you watching like what is this he's like and Tanner says something like how many people have to die before you go to the police which like could be the tagline for pretty little liars <laughs> but yeah t- like Tanner is like a procrastinator after my own heart he's I love Tanner so yeah, much he's he's great he uh TJ you have another Nick Cave Stan. Yeah. Here. So I was just about to say, I, I feel like Tanner is like, is, is me basically. I mean, like f- for our comes from a Mormon family, bisexual and Nick cave loving, like, <laughs> like this is me, this is me as a boy, except he's much sweeter and more open. Like he's, he wears his heart on his sleeve, like a yeah, motherfucker. This kid is so sweet. And that is definitely not me, but everything else. Yes. I I mean, Sebastian is not me, but he also has my favorite band. So I was like, that is a weird coincidence. (laughs) Bon Iver. And I like Pretty Little Liar. (laughs) We've got the trifecta. We're going (laughs) to the whole cast of characters. Oh, goodness. Uh, Do we want to talk to you about like how this book ends though. And like the, the, the structure of the book within like the seminar, this class that they're taking. Cause I do think that that's really, really interesting. Um, Martha, I'm stealing your notes here, which say that the whole book feels like kind of meta to you. And it is, it is very meta. It also reminds me of my senior year of college. Um, we didn't write a book, but the class was to start a business and like that, it was really intense, but it, it's kind of exactly like the seminar. Like, oh, you just got to grind it out and write a whole book. So I, I was like, oh, this takes me back. Yeah. 
I kind of like that we keep accidentally hitting on some of the same themes because in our first book discussion, when we talked about fangirl, you know, Kath ultimately has to learn to write about herself and to get away from like the fan fiction she's writing. And Tanner, it's kind of like the opposite situation where he can't stop writing his and Sebastian's story. Um, he, he, he has such a one track mind. And at one point he talks about how he's like writing because he like doesn't know how it's going to end. And he like thinks if he keeps writing it, like he'll, he'll find out what happens to him and Sebastian. And that's really makes my heart sad too. But I think it is such an interesting way to frame this whole, whole book. And then it ties up really nicely at the end in terms of, you know, Sebastian, Tanner can't turn it in because it will out Sebastian is it's like, it can't be changed enough. Um, And then he, but Sebastian turns it in for him anyway. And I love that. God, what a huge, huge step for him. And he did that before deciding to defect. Like he did that right before his book tour. And then he came home from his book tour with every intention of following through on his mission. Mm -hmm. And you know, it wasn't until a little bit after that or like at the announcement that he decided to defect. But I mean, he was willing to essentially out himself yeah. just to make sure that Tanner passed his class. Yeah. And yeah, it's- but on the flip side of that, it almost feels like a consent thing to me. Like, yeah, he could have turned it in anyways and it would have it, and it ended up fine. But Tanner, like was like no I don't want to do it like I don't want to turn this in and I don't know like it works in the reasons yeah works in the sense of the story but like in real life I don't think that would fly with me yeah I can see that but I think because his his entire reason if I'm remembering correctly for not wanting to turn it in is to not out Sebastian yeah so I I feel like Sebastian a little bit of he didn't want to out himself either yeah, maybe. I maybe, yeah. And I think he was rightfully kind of mad at Autumn because Autumn steals Autumn the book off his call, computer right. and gives it to Sebastian. Um, although she that's she does have a very good moment at the end of the book, though, when she like, goes to Sebastian and he she, he was like, Tanner said he was writing something else. Really? Did you think he was his was writing something else? Um, so she she like gives him, you know, kind of a good talking to there at the end. But I get, yeah, that seems like more of a violation to me than Sebastian giving the book to the teacher. I do like the teacher though. So I also in the author's note is that Christina, the one who, the author who lives in Utah is like a was a school counselor before she became a full-time writer. And that was part of what inspired her writing this book. Cause she basically had kids like Sebastian come to her thinking they were going to like lose their entire family and everything that they thought they were okay. if they came out. And so I like, we don't get much of the teacher in this book, but then at the end, like, you know, he has this really like heartfelt talk with Tanner being like, your book's great. And I'm so proud of you for going on this journey. And then he also like writes a letter to Sebastian. Cause obviously at this point, like the book is about Sebastian. He's like, you know, I'm very proud of you. Like, it's very brave of you. And I'm here for you if you need me. And I'm like, okay, Christina, you're kind of inserting yourself in here in a very <laughs> thinly veiled teacher character who I think might be you. <laughs> but it's fine because you do it is nice to know that like there are people who adults who would be on your side if you want to go down that path yeah. but i like that though that this book is like such a personal thing for both of them yeah like highlighting such kind of pivotal experiences in both of their lives yeah 
Yeah. So it's just, it's just a good book. I liked it a lot. Um, <laughs> I think you guys both read it before me and uh, I read it on both your recommendations and I'm glad you did. It was one of those where I got it from the library and then I immediately ordered a copy for myself because I'm like, I need this with me all I the know, time. I haven't ordered it yet. I have read it from the library both times, but I think it'll be on the list. I also haven't read any of their other books. I just was See, looking. I, <laughs> I can see the Lauren. Um, yeah, very, very different. Um, reading like their, their earliest books are like the, I mean, just straight up like porn without plot kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, like that's how they, they've gotten progressively, um, nicer, richer in their writing and, and a little, yeah. you know, expanding their, their subjects a little bit more beyond yeah. sex. But yeah, I, I read a ton of their earlier books and then I saw this one and I was like, huh. And I read it. I was like, this is not what I was expecting from Christina no. Lauren, but I was very pleasantly surprise yeah they're like they very have a new one out about holidays it's called the hall in, in the holidays yeah, yeah in, in the holidays, holidays. i kind of want to read that i have a library request for it i'm, I'm excited for it yeah they they're just like very prolific romance writers and then they like every once in a while put out these books that are just like really really heartfelt and really like just stick with me this one being one in their other book um that really got love to me words. love in other words it's so it's an adult romance but it's beautiful as well so yeah i mean i think they're kind of on like a once like twice a year publishing schedule or putting out these like like they're good romances um but then every once in a while they like put out a really really good one and i hope to have another one up their sleeve sometime too because i really liked them and this but this one i think is my favorite for sure yeah their earlier publishing schedule was like a book every three months or something crazy i remember when i was first reading them i was like i just finished this one and there's already another one out Good for them. They're like living their best lives now. I also read, I was like doing some internet research on them because I was just fascinated by their life stories. Lauren was also like, she's a PhD in like neuroscience or something. In yeah, that. Like, like they're, they're just like, they're really fascinating to me. I love them. So good job. Well, Christina now Lauren. I know it's two people. I honestly it's had no people. idea. Because <laughs> on know. the book title, it says Christina Lauren, like on well, the cover. And then they do like on their publishing page, talk about them as a single single person like the author is they use the mm. the sailor because anyway it's interesting any other big thoughts guys on this book before we turn into some superlatives here i just wanted to say um i don't identify myself as lgbt and i can't speak to that aspect of the book but i can recognize like the universal struggle of trying to fit in somewhat where that you aren't welcome or trying to be someone you're not to try to fit in um and i think that book this book really drew me in with that. Like that felt really authentic. And I knew this story was coming from a heartfelt place. Yeah. And I like, I love that too, because I think that that is, if you're someone who doesn't know anyone who is, is part of that community or you've, you're not part of that community yourself. I think the biggest way, if, if you don't have an experience with that and you're kind of adverse to it for just because how you grew up or whatever, the best way to not be that way anymore is, is, is empathy, right? Like in, in reading stories. I mean, I can't imagine reading this book and not like having my heart feel like it's being squeezed out of my chest. Right. So like, you think that that's why it's really important for people to, to read stories like this, because it, it, even if you don't feel like you see yourself in it, it's very important to uh, find that commonality with people who are different than you. But I think that that's why this 
this book in particular and a lot of books like it could be really helpful to people who don't necessarily see themselves in the characters in that very specific way. All right. So do we want to dive into some superlatives here, friends? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Favorite quote. Who's got one? I'll go first. Mine's very simple. It's okay. it's it wasn't his first kiss. I know that, but it's his first real one. And I was like, this was cute. Yeah. And it also felt like just very like he I knew that Tanner could like see into Sebastian's soul like at that moment. Like he really got Sebastian as a person. Yeah, that's a good one. Tasha, <laughs> do you have a favorite quote? Yeah, I have a couple. This one is from Tanner and uh, he's thinking to himself and he says, it still irks me that I'll probably spend most of my life dividing the people I know into two groups, the people who support me without questions and the ones who should. And that's a very, that's a, that's a mood. Um, and the yeah, other one is Sebastian. He's kind of paraphrasing from a source that he doesn't cite, but he says um, to think that God loves the trees, but condemns that blossoming thing they do in the spring. And that's him just thinking about um, his family essentially rejecting him for being gay. I love it. My heart. Um, Yeah, I have a couple here. Uh, I really liked, I I kind of talked about this one above, but um, Tanner, he's writing the book. He says, the weirdest part, I don't want to stop writing about Sebastian. It's almost like I need to keep writing it in order to find out how it ends, which Again, it's just like very heartbreaking because, you know, Tanner is really struggling throughout this book. He's so in love, but he is just so concerned about uh, whether or not Sebastian is going to to be there for him at the end. So that's really upsetting to me. And then I also love this quote that is from the book that Tanner is writing. So it's not part of like the narrative of our book autobiography, but it's after they go to like the service day together and they're like building things together. And he says, we spent the afternoon building for service. He said, new pieces, new places, new parts to be put there and taken for granted, but it felt good. And I told him that he rested a plank on his shoulder, like a bayonet. And I nearly laughed thinking, is this what it feels like to fall in love with a soldier on the other side? Oh, that one was so good. Uh, really sweet. Oh, my heart. I think I gasped when I read that. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Favorite character and favorite character arc. Martha, you want to go first again? Sure. Um, same for both. It's Sebastian for the character, Sebastian for the arc. Um, once again, my favorite band is also Bon Iver, so I'm contractually obligated to like him. But I think I would have liked him anyway. I think he struggles the most, and I think he has the most to lose. Um, but I feel like at the end, he also gained the most. So, simple terms. That's yeah. why he's my favorite. Tasha. Yeah, we kind of got into this a little bit earlier, but Tanner, Tanner is is my dude. You know. We stand a Nick Cave loving bisexual disaster. <laughs> um, and then for Ark, it's, I mean, it's got to be Sebastian. Yeah. Uh, he goes through so much and it's it's so rough and it's hard because of how it hurts Tanner a lot of the time. But, yeah. you know, it needed to happen. He needed to go through it and he came out so much better on the other side. Yeah. Um, not to like be a total echo chamber, but obviously my favorite Ark too is Sebastian. <laughs> I We didn't talk really much above, but I think it's really important that like the fact that through much of this book he's just like i'm not gay 
Like, no, like he talks about how he, he likes boys and he, he knows he likes boys more than girls, but he refuses to label himself in that way. And we've talked before about how labels are not the most important thing in the world, but he, for him, it's coming from a place of, of rejection of that side of himself. And he, he thinks of it as a, a, a thing that he doesn't want to, to, to deal with with himself. So and he thinks that, about it as a choice. I think it yeah. says something like, I'm not gay. That's, that's a different choice. And I'm not choosing that. Yeah. He says to, to Tanner, like, you're asking me to be something that I'm not. And Tanner's like something, not someone it's so he, but he gets there at the end. He eventually like tells Tanner, like, you know, I am gay. And, and then at the end, when I, the first time I read this book, I was not sure if they were going to be like, if they were going to, uh, get together at the end and for ta- for Sebastian to just quit BYU not go on his mission and to like come to LA to find Tanner I was just like I'm so proud it's just a it's a beautiful end for these two so and I I do like that there is an acknowledgement at the end too for both of them Tanner says something like I'm not I'm not afraid of of hard work or something you know they know that this is not gonna be like an easy path for them going forward and I think that's really important in terms of favorite character, my favorite character is probably also Tanner. I just love him, but I'm going to just throw in a dark horse here and I'm going to go with his sister, Hallie, who is just like this goth, sarcastic, like presence in his home. She's exactly what you like want a little sister to be. She's just kind of a, a thorn in Tanner's side. And I just love her, her humor when she pops up in the book. So we didn't talk about her before. I just wanted to give a little moment to, to Hallie there. I love all of the jokes Tanner makes about her just being like, Oh, what are you doing? Getting ready for a funeral? Like, like better jokes than that one. But yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. They like go shopping and his mom's like, I'm not buying you three more black shirts. You have 30 in your closet. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. So shots to Haley. And then our final favorite category, which we love to do in this show is to swoon into gosh, what is your favorite swoon worthy moment of the book? Martha? Man, I originally put the mountain emoji during the book signing, but which is great. It's a great moment but i think right at the end where tanner's like playing frisbee and he sort of looks over and he's like no that couldn't be him and then like sebastian shows up and you're like oh my god so i think like that just like telling his family like leaving living on his book bonus like that's pretty swoon worthy to me it is yeah the mountain emoji thing just really gets to me too should we, I guess we should explain. So like they go on this hike and that's where they have their first kiss. And then because Sebastian is like very in a lot of turmoil about this, every time he's like thinking about it, he just sends Tanner a mountain emoji. And it's really sweet because he can't find the words to say what he wants to say. Yeah. That's essentially what my swoon worthy moment is, is just like every iteration of the mountain emoji it's it's like devastating because a lot of times it's kind of sad too because Sebastian will be getting kind of distant like he'll be pulling away from Tanner and then you know Tanner starts to freak out about where like where their relationship stands and then Sebastian will just send him a mountain emoji and it's like it's crumbs but at the same time it's it's really big to Sebastian yeah that it's it is really important to each other I love it. So my biggest swoon moment, the moment, I agree with both of what you have said, although now Martha is making me think mine, rethink mine with this whole like consent issue. But I said Sebastian turning in Tanner's book 
Because I think that for him to, to, to give it to the teacher, knowing that that like outs him essentially. And he does that for, for Tanner, but also for himself. I think he wants to put it out there. And I just think that that is, is so important. And he knows that like for Tanner's grades, like it's very important that he like gets not a failing grade in the seminar so that he can go to the out of state school that he needs to go to, to be himself. And I just, I, I thought that that was, was very romantic and like Tanner finding out by like getting his report card and seeing his grades, like having no idea about it. It's just, it's like his, at that point he thinks it's like his last parting gift to Tanner because they're apart at that point. And it's just, it really hits me in the feels. I like it. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good book guys. It is a good book. <laughs> one of my favorites I think I've read in the last few years, honestly. Yeah. It's, it's definitely one that like sticks sticks with you i mean i only read it this summer but i i feel like i think about these these boys a lot and <laughs> i love them so well i think that that basically covers everything that we wanted to cover today martha we are so glad to have you here Thanks thank for you for joining us friends. thank I hope, you hope you'll come back sometime at another book Sounds that good. we all love to discuss i don't know what it'll be but someday Hopefully be here for a while. Uh, Tasia, do you want to do the honors of telling everyone what our next book will be? Yeah. um, So next week we're going to be covering a book I'm really, really excited about, um, which is Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. And we're going to have another special guest with us. Woo. Yeah. It's a perfect spooky season read um, right in time for Halloween. Um, And we can't wait to discuss it. It's probably like my favorite book I've read this year. So yeah. So before we go, Martha, would you like to tell our listeners where people can find you on the internet and advertise your podcasts? Certainly. I have a few. You can find me on Martha and Colby grow up. You can find me on the foreign nations report you can also find me sometimes on Pop Culturist, which is a pop culture website. Um, for all of that and more, you can go to my website, www.martharily.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Marth underscore Vader. Great. Tasia, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Instagram and Twitter at, at RagyCakes. And I'm on Instagram at Rin underscore reads. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at act age, or you can shoot us an email at act age pod at gmail.com. That's a C T Y A A G E pod at gmail.com. We would love any feedback, comments, questions uh, to our email address. And if you would not mind rating and reviewing us on Apple podcast or wherever you podcast, we would very much like that. We really would. Thanks, friends. Thanks, Martha. Thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye.